0: 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4,
1: 3, 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello and thank you for joining us on Space Nuts, a show about astronomy and space science and as my brother put on our sticker, Stuff. So uh, we talk about all of that and uh, today we'll be talking about gravitational wave detection because something big has happened and uh, Fred was at a conference uh, to discuss this very discovery so we will be uh, getting it from the horse's mouth. Not that he's a horse, but you know, if he was, he'd be a a thoroughbred. Uh, We're also going to look at a problem with the SpaceX capsule because the... um, the toilet break. See, this is what happens when you don't pay the rent. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll find out what they had to do about it. It wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. Involved spoons and all. Oh, no, we don't want to know. Space doogies everywhere. Uh, we'll also uh, be answering questions about the Big Bang, uh, sound in space. It's a theoretical question. And whether or not uh, humans could live on the gas giant moons of Titan and Io, uh, I don't think I'd like it very much. But uh, could it could it happen? So we'll um, we'll get into all of that. My name is Andrew Dunkley, of course, your host. And joining me, as always, is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew.
0: <laughs> Good to see you again.
1: Good to see you too, sir. <laughs> Uh, Now, a little bit of homework. We got a message because we were talking about uh, radio telescopes last week and the 60th uh, birthday of uh, of Parks, and we we talked about the first female radio telescope astronomer, but I think we left out radio telescope and referred to her as the world's first astronomer, which um, somebody picked us up on. So it was our glitch, um, just a, a, you know, Slight glitch in the dialogue, but, uh, yes, uh, we were speaking about a lady who was the first female radio telescope astronomer, correct? The first female radio astronomer, that's right.
0: Uh, uh, um, uh, gosh, I always get a name wrong. Ruby, <laughs> Ruby Payne Scott.
1: <laughs> you, you're, you're having a week for it because I heard an interview you did on the radio last <laughs> week with a colleague of mine on our radio station and um, don't tell anybody... Uh, that that fred forgot the name of his own book (laughs) (laughs) didn't hear it from me um
0: there was a good reason for it, actually, because um, <laughs> Marnie was walking through the front door laden down with shopping bags and uh, <laughs> clearly needed help.
1: That'll do uh, that
0: diverted my attention from whatever the book's called. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll mention, we, we might be able to mention that later.
0: Yes, we might. But
1: let, let's talk about this uh, incredible discovery uh, in, concerning gravitational waves. Now, gravitational waves are only a very recent discovery in astronomy. And we detected a certain number of them up until recently. And now, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, they've just absolutely smashed it out and announced the discovery of 35 more uh, from various sources. And you were in, uh, involved in a, a conference uh, about this uh, only recently.
0: Yeah, Yesterday, that's right. It, yeah. uh, although um, the conference wasn't about this work, it was uh, actually about Chinese and Australian c- uh, collaboration in astronomy. It's a very, very fruitful area with some marvellous Chinese astronomers who are involved uh, with, you know, with the research. Um, and uh, we had basically some update uh, talks, and one of them was about gravitational waves. In fact, it was slightly different. It, this The one which we were... Uh, the, the, the talk I was at was about continuous gravitational waves. Now, by that, they mean... Detecting things like the wobble of a neutron star as it rotates, because Uh that would be a continuous process rather than what's been detected so far, which are uh, all the results of high energy collisions between mostly neutron stars and black holes. Um, So it it was interesting, actually, Andrew, it harked back to a conversation you and I had uh, uh, probably a month ago or two months ago, about mountains on neutron stars, which which are less than a millimetre high. (laughs) Uh, And the the fact is that a mountain even that small could could possibly produce gravitational waves because it's... It's as the thing rotates. Um, it's a you know, it's not a perfect sphere. It's it's deviates from a perfect sphere, and so there is an acceleration there. Mm. Uh, and the you know, the trick is to look for these continuous gravitational waves being emitted from those, uh, which haven't yet been detected. Um, but uh, in the talk, it was given by actually one of the Australian um, participants in the. Um, uh, I think it's part of the Ozgrav uh, collaboration which is Australia's contribution to this work on gravitational waves. And uh yeah so he did mention this the announcement uh, a couple of days ago about exactly what you've said that um in the latest run of LIGO uh and some of the other well one of the other gravitational wave detectors around the world which is Virgo in Italy mm-hmm. um That has netted, as you said, further 35 new detections of gravitational waves. But the milestone I thought was worth celebrating is that given that the first one was discovered in 2015, it brings the total now to 90 detections. Most of them are created by merging black holes, uh, but there are also... Um, you know, these uh, the, the, the possibility of neutron stars colliding, uh, that's actually been detected, and neutron stars being gobbled up by black holes, which has also uh, been detected. Uh, so it's, it, it's really um, the, the science of gravitational wave astronomy has matured really quickly mm. um, to have 90 of those events. Um, and what highlighted it for me was uh, two years ago, uh, um, I, I published uh, Cosmic Chronicles, um, a user's guide to the universe, which uh, everywhere else in the world but Aus- Australasia is called Exploding Stars and Invisible Planets. Um, and I know some of our listeners have, have seen that. But I had a chapter in that on gravitational wave detections. And I think at that time, I should have checked back in the book, but I think the, there were 10 altogether. Um, now two years later and we've got to 90 uh yeah. it's f- fantastic to see all this and we're learning about the, the 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 different sorts of objects that are providing these collisions um something i mentioned to you in the email as well that staggered me so i, I when i read the the report about this announcement that there's a total of 90 been discovered I looked at the uh, the original paper you know the research paper that is uh, actually releasing this data and the first 10 pages are authors lists of authors and their and their <laughs> um, affiliations I didn't count them but it would be several thousand I
1: think wow uh, we've talked about this before the yeah. scientific papers usually have um, multiple authors but um, when we say multiple Multiple authors. We're talking hundreds and some, as you said, just then, possibly thousands at times. Yeah, that's
0: extraordinary.
1: <laughs> Incredible. You know, all those trees suffering just so you can get your name put down. Um, one thing that I noticed in uh, this revelation of these 35 new gravitational waves that have been discovered is uh, they can account for most of them, but one, one has a mysterious origin. Well,
0: yes, uh, the... The, the 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 problem is that um you know we've got physics tells us how big black holes should be uh, and how big neutron stars should be but the observations tell a slightly different story mm. um and um there are some of these uh, that are that are really um, quite mysterious um i'm not sure which one you're thinking of um andrew because i don't either there's uh, there's at least one um in You know that's generated uh, generated a black hole whose mass is 145 times more than the sun, and that's that that means that the, the the two black holes that that contributed to this were both very big Mm -hmm. um and possibly you know the um uh bigger than might be expected from what are called stellar mass black holes ones that are created by the 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 collapse of the core of a dying star i'm just gonna Um,
1: stop you there can you hear that that's freddo our resident frog Okay. He's a green tree frog, and he's taken. Ah. I, I think he's taken residence in our water tank, which is just outside my window. Ah, fantastic! <laughs> and it's and we've got storms around at the moment, so yeah. um, he's getting very excited. So if we get interrupted by thunderclaps or uh, or, or Fredo the frog, <laughs> that's why. So sorry. Very good. No, right. Actually, I might just make a point. Um, Of these 35 from the report I've read, 32 were caused by two black holes merging. Two were likely caused by a neutron star um, hitting um, a a black hole, smashing into a black hole, and then they're saying one was unknown. Yes, um,
0: that's right, and uh, you can kind of... Imagine that because the um, what they do is they analyze the waveform of the of the gra- gravitational wave as it goes by, uh, and that you can tease out what 's actually happening there mm. um, I think um, uh, the the way I read it was rather than unknown uh, I read it as ambiguous. <laughs> oh okay um it which could have me, been one or the other yeah so in, in particular it's one that's um a, basically an object a black hole 24 times the mass of the sun something lighter than that with a mass of 2.83 times the mass of the sun now the ambiguous bit is is that object with 2.83 solar masses a black hole or a neutron star and that's the mystery um it it's because the limit on neutron stars is less than 2.83 solar masses. I can't remember what it is. It's about two, I think. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, to get a neutron star that size is a mystery. That's I think that's probably what you're referring to. Yeah, because so. something that size should collapse to a black hole. Yeah. Uh, but the feeling is that it's actually a neutron star. Maybe it was
1: on its way to doing that when it got. Uh,
0: maybe so. Maybe you know, got gobbled up at the critical yeah. moment.
1: Uh, Why? What, what, someone will probably think of this question, so I'll preempt it. Why is something so small as a neutron star? Um, creating such significant gravitational waves is it because of the density the the, the high amount of gravitational uh, pressure existing in that body and when it hits a black hole kaboom
0: yeah it's it, that, yes that's right uh, it, it's you know uh, neutron stars are the um, they are extreme gravitational objects because their diameter is what 10 kilometers or something like that mm. Um, and it's that uh, that sort of gravitational well um, that stirs up the gravitational waves, if, if I can put it that way. Um, so what what I guess another way of putting it is that if it was a black hole gobbling up uh, a two point eight three solar mass normal star, then you wouldn't get the same gravitational energy being released because. Um, it, I, th- I think I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go along, Andrew. But it, it's, it's space nuts. That's what we do. Well, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's all about the, you know, how how steep the gravitational well is, and um, mm-hmm. in, in other words, how compact this gravitational source is, if I can put it that way. Thinking of gravity as as a stream of gravitons, which we don't know whether is the case yet, but that might be, it might be the way it goes. So, yeah, yeah extraordinary stuff. Look, it, it's the physics is really quite. Amazing amazing um, and uh, the fact that we can detect these things at all is staggering yeah. uh, the sensitivity of the, the you know the, the the LIGO works it's got four kilometer laser beams bouncing backwards and forwards between two mirrors whose separation is measured to I think it's uh, about uh, if I remember rightly about one fifty thousandth of the uh, with an accuracy of about one fifty. Thousandth of the diameter of a proton. It's it's crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. Crazy stuff. <clears throat> and one of those things that once again just gives you a headache because you can't get your head around it. Uh, dumb question. Someone asked me to ask you. <laughs> <That> um, <is. laughs> why why have gravitational waves become such an important thing to study? Well, we've always
0: known there would be. Um, it's only that now we've hit the technological gateway that allows us to do that the technology of gravitational wave detectors which has been struggling along for 40 years 50 years perhaps Uh, in 2015 with advanced LIGO as the name of the project they actually managed to to attain this sensitivity that I've just mentioned Mm. Uh, this it's all about how accurately and reliably you can measure the separation of these pairs of mirrors Um, and that is now possible in a way that it wasn't. When you think of, you know, you've got to get rid of earth tremors and all of that sort of stuff yeah. as well to, to 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 make the measurements. But now the technology, and, and I guess to some extent the computational technology that we have as well, has improved to the level <clears throat> where it's possible to, to detect them. And so we've now got this flood of events coming in. Um, the detectors are constantly being improved in their sensitivity and that's why people are talking about continuous wave gravitational waves because it seems likely that we'll start to pick them up at some point down the track.
1: Mm. Yes and and just like exoplanets which you know we're only 25 years down the track and we know there's thousands of them at this stage. That's right. I suppose 20 years from now we'll probably be in the same situation with gravitational waves. Yes. And and hopefully we'll be able to learn a lot from them which uh, would answer some of the many mysteries of the universe who knows that's right okay uh, we'll leave it there but uh, obviously there'll be a lot more to talk about in the future in regard to gravitational waves this is space nuts with andrew dunkley and professor fred watson time to take a bit of a break from the program to tell you about our sponsor nordpass now nordpass is a password manager And of course, these days you have passwords for everything, and I've got dozens of them. I'm sure sure you have too, and it can be really cumbersome and complicated, and how many times do you sit down and you get the password prompt and you go, what is it again? Can't remember. You grab your notebook where you've got them all written down, which is not a safe thing to do, and uh, you know, from time to time you have to change them and you've got to think of something and you know uh yeah I, I, you know where I'm coming from well, with Nordpass, all of that is looked after all of it it's pain free I mean it's really quite simple. uh you can upload all your passwords to this one piece of software. They are kept secure. They update as you need to change them. You don't even have to go into the software to change the password. If you change a password on a website or something you use on your computer, it will pop up and say, "Do you want me to change this password in NordPass?" Yes, please. Away you go. It's done, and you can forget about it. In fact, the way the whole system works is you don't have to remember any passwords at all, except for one master password the the password to get into NordPass. So. How easy is that? One password to cover all the passwords that you might need. They also have a password generator so that you can create very complex passwords that you don't ever need to remember because they'll remember it for you and no one will be able to hack you. One of the other things I like about NordPass is that they will give you alerts. They will tell you if your passwords are compromised or if you've got an issue with certain passwords. But they will also give you alerts about some of the stuff that's going on, uh, You know, some of the nasty surprises that are going on in the cyber world, some of the activities of hackers and people who are trying to steal your information and your money. Let's face it, that's what it comes down to in the end. So it's a really great product, and I highly recommend it. I'm using it at the moment. I've been using it for a while now. And uh, I, I really love the service. And it sort of just works in the background. You don't have to think about it. So look it up. And we've got a special URL where, as a Space Nuts, uh, Space Nuts listener, you get a special deal, two years plus one month free for the premium brand, uh, pl- premium plan with uh, NordPass. And the URL is nordpass.com slash Space Nuts. You can pop in there, read all about it, grab the deal uh, at this incredibly low price. So NordPass.com slash Space Nuts for two, year, two years, a two-year deal with one month fro- uh, thrown in free for a premium plan. I wish they had software to fix my tongue, but that's another story. NordPass.com slash Space Nuts. Now, back to the show. Space Nuts. Now, if you would like to become a patron, uh, as I've said before, it's purely voluntary, Uh, there's a a good reason to dip your toe into the water of becoming a patron at the moment because uh, Patreon and Supercast, both services that we use, are offering 30-day free trials for um, premium access. So if you've been thinking about it but you're not sure, well, here's an opportunity to give it a go for 30 days, see if you like it, and... You know, go from there. But, uh yes, that's through Patreon and Supercast. Now, I noticed a couple of things popping up on the Space Nuts podcast group on Facebook recently where some of our patrons received gifts in the mail, much to their surprise. Yes, we've introduced a um, a, a reward system. Uh, I did tell you we were working on some concepts. We've finally nailed a few down. So people who... um Stick with us for a few months on Patreon, uh, we'll receive uh, space nut stickers, and then after six months, we'll probably uh, send something else. And if you stick with us for twelve months, well, we'll we'll give you um, Fred's Lamborghini. Um, <laughs> no, he actually drives a Tesla, but. Um... Um. <laughs> it's a fit, isn't it? I don't know. But, uh, yes, uh, there, there are presents involved in be, being a patron, and we're working on a similar concept with Supercast. So uh, if you'd like to try it out, uh, go to our website, spacenutspodcast.com, and click on the Supporter tab and uh, and go from there. But like I say, it's not mandatory. We're not going to make you do it. It's purely voluntary now Fred to our next story and that is uh, of um, great concern to space travelers and that is a broken toilet on the SpaceX capsule that uh, was you know visiting the International Space Station this is a big concern space doogies are filling my brain actually it's full of that all the time but <laughs> <laughs> what what happened um, yes it's a fault on the uh,
0: on the uh- you know, the uh, the capsule, the um, S- SpaceX's uh, Crew Dragon capsule has got a broken toilet. It's docked with uh, the International Space Station at the moment. And this coming weekend, it's going to bring four astronauts back to Earth um, w- with an inoperative toilet, uh, which was actually spotted back in September. Uh, but they they haven't um they, you know they, they haven't actually made any attempt to fix it apparently there, there aren't that many space plumbers around no that there, there aren't that's absolutely right um it's uh, it, it's a tube that has come unglued and that sounds like bad news when it's connected See, to a toilet why
1: don't they take blue tack with them
0: Well, that stuff's amazing. Yeah, all this is underneath the underneath the floorboards of the capsule, or at least the um, you know the the, the internal cladding. Um, So there's uh, yeah there's a capsule sitting on the ground, awaiting liftoff, which has had this problem fixed, but the one in orbit. Has a "do not use" sign on it, <laughs> uh, and so um, apparently there's no structural uh, compromising of the spacecraft itself. It's going to be fine to bring the astronauts back to uh, to Earth, um, despite the, the leak. Uh, but uh, the astronauts themselves will have to wear. What are being called absorbent undergarments?
1: Yes, well, you know, they've got other names: diapers, nappies. Yeah, that's right. Crap catchers. They they could be they could be anything. You know, there's there's an actual double whammy to this story. Which yes, I there think is Very very concerning. And I'm sure just, you're about to say the same thing as what I've just grown. I have. <laughs> they've just grown yeah. their own chilies on exactly. the space station. <laughs> Ate ate them in tacos they made on board. Now they've got to sit in this stuff. All the way. Oh, no. Oh, that's a, you know, it could not be worse. I
0: mean, that's just (laughs) the worst timing ever. So, so they've, you're quite right, they've grown the first chili peppers in space, which, um, the uh, the uh, female astronaut uh, megan MacArthur uh, she described as the fact that they've grown these uh, chilies as a nice morale boost, but she goes on to say they have a nice spiciness, a
1: boost, all right
0: a nice spiciness to them, a little bit of a lingering burn oh God <laughs> anyway um oh. they have twenty hours in the capsule um without the toilet, so oh gosh. Yeah, they'll um, be fine, but they'll I don't think fine. I could hold it for that long. Um, there was another comment she made. Uh, <laughs> yes, she described the situation as suboptimal. <laughs> suboptimal. <laughs> yes, but manageable. Suboptimal, but manageable. Anyway, oh, we've, yeah. look, we've had a good laugh at their expense. Uh, yes, I, hope we have. Everything, I hope they're safe and everything goes okay. I suspect, Andrew... Um, You know, bodily fluids are are pretty well something that you just take for granted um, when you're in space because it is such a different environment from what Mm. we're used to here on Earth.
1: I remember some years ago we had a, a NASA astronaut visiting uh, Dubbo uh, he was part of a, a rotary program and he um, he was touring Australia and he came here and, and did some special appearances and I got to interview him on the radio and uh, take audience questions what do you think the first question was <laughs> how do you go to the toilet in space? how do you go to the toilet uh, so how do you... to... yeah I mean it's it's vacuum packed isn't it I mean <laughs> You can't well, yeah, just go like you do on Earth. No, that's right. No, there's all sorts of things happen. They freeze dry it, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. And- well, we saw that portrayed in the movie The Martian. It was freeze dried and mm. put in little. Yeah, you know, aluminium packets or something.
0: Okay. But yeah, he reconstituted
1: it to grow his potato. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there is a plus side to all of this, Fred, and that is that if they need uh, extra boost for D-cell, they can just turn the toilet on and all will be well. <laughs> I don't think so.
0: <laughs> I think they'll leave, the, they'll leave it well alone. It'll just have one of those signs that you occasionally see in shopping centres, toilet out of order.
1: <laughs> oh, not occasionally. It's a very common, yeah, very common yeah. problem. <clears throat> um, yeah, I said sub- it just goes to show you the complexity of space travel, though, doesn't it? You, you've got so many things happening all the time, and it's probably a good thing that the only broken part is the is the toilet. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you can you can go without that for a while. Yeah, you can. You can't go without your retro rockets and your boosters and your navigational exactly. systems <clears throat> and and you, yeah, everything you need to to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere or get out of it for that matter. So, uh, I mean, the, it, it, we we take it for granted today, but it is really a complicated process to get off the ground, get up into space, dock with the International Space Station, um, swap everything out, grow chilies and then get back to Earth and <laughs> yeah. hope your nappy doesn't leak. I mean, it's really, yeah. <laughs> really, really a complicated system. And I applaud them. I mean... It, we're, we're sort of accelerating through a phase where space travel is going to be become so very common that it will just be an everyday mundane thing we don't even think about, like planes flying over. We yeah. don't even think about that anymore.
0: Uh, aviation the is, way it is. is the great model for yeah how space mm. travel will be. I'm sure that's right.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, we wish them well on re-entry and hope that everything stays intact and... Uh, all I'll say to them is if you can hold it, hold it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the idea of red hot chili peppers on re entry. Oh, dear <laughs> me. It <laughs> does not do it for me at all. Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> we'll carry on. Uh, this is Space Nuts. Gr- glad to have your company. Andrew Dunkley here with Professor Fred Watson.
0: Three, two,
1: one Space Nuts. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to join the Space Nuts podcast group on Facebook if you're into social media. It's a great place to meet like-minded people, Um, share your astronomical photos, ask each other questions. Uh, What's been happening lately is someone will pose a really complex question. And open it for discussion. And uh, what amazes me is just the amount of information that people provide. They're so very, very knowledgeable and intelligent. They leave me in the dust. So uh, it is. And and, and you know, uh, there's there's one uh, post I've uh, looked at the other day. Someone's very cleverly um, taken photos of a um, uh, a moonrise or a moonset. I'm not sure which. It's a full moon. But the way they've lined up the pictures, you've got a man holding the moon and putting it in the trunk of his car. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, Really good. Very, very clever. So take a look at that. It's uh, on Facebook, the Space Nuts podcast group. It's our own uh, user-generated social media platform where you can all get together and meet each other and and talk about astronomy and space science. So uh, well worth getting involved. And of course, there's an official Space Nuts uh, Facebook page as well. So they're they're both um, available to you now a uh, question without notice uh, of course the uh, the volcano has been continually erupting on La Palma uh, the island of La Palma um, and somebody's posted a question uh, I think it came through uh, one of our avenues I can 't remember which uh, asking if the um, if the uh, observatory on La Palma has been threatened I have not heard of any problems there, and it would be on top of another mountain, would it not?
0: It is, yeah. So, um, it uh, the, the there are basically two volcanoes on La Palma, um, and it is the northern one on which the observatory sits. It's a caldera called the Caldera de Taburiente, if I remember rightly. I'm pulling this from distant memories because um there's a long time since i've been to la palma i used to go there a lot um but the observatory is uh in the northern side of the island um the volcano is not not quite down deep in you know in the far south of the island it's not a terribly big island actually um i guess 100 kilometers i guess something like that uh, maybe a bit more um but the volcano is more to the south. And it, it's it's sort of, um, it, you know, it's it's erupting. The lava flows that are, are erupting are basically heading to the sea, to the ocean. Uh, there has been a lot of ash, though, um, and I've seen pictures, uh, you know, of people's homes where they're digging out huge oh. piles of really fine ash, uh, and that would be more likely to be a showstopper for, for the observatory. You would want to shut down if this fine dust was was you know blowing up in that direction i think mm-hmm. the prevailing wind is from the west though my recollection of working there uh, it's probably um, you know blowing uh, blowing the uh, the dust the, the other way although yeah. actually i have to say my, uh, something else it's off the east coast of Africa and periodically we used to get clouds of Sahara dust blowing uh, off mm. uh you know t- towards the island and that was another thing that made you shut down as well
1: yeah well <clears> all right well somebody asked the question so it yeah. sounds like um <clears throat> if anything just some inconvenience
0: uh, yeah I haven't seen any uh you know any big notices about it at all no no me either
1: Okay, uh, our first question, or our second question, as it turns out, comes from Daryl Parker, and uh, Daryl's a-, a patron, so thanks for your support, Daryl. I have a question about the speed of light and the early universe. Was the Big Bang faster than the speed of light? I ask this because the Big Bang expanded from nothing to the size of a galaxy in a very short space of time. So was the Big Bang expansion faster than the speed of light in the early universe? Um, answer yes. Uh, ah. And um it, it, um, sorry, I've forgotten the
0: um, listener's name. Was it Daryl? Ah, uh, Daryl. Daryl yeah. from South yeah, Australia. Yeah, Daryl's absolutely right. Sorry, Daryl. Uh, it's absolutely right Um that uh, space expanded from you know being subatomic in size to the size of a galaxy in something like tenth or minus 30th of a second it 's just mind boggling yeah. um, it 's what we call the inflation period or the inflation epoch because it inflated mm-hmm. very rapidly um, but so you, you know the question behind this is why doesn 't that uh, defy Einstein's special theory of relativity, which says the speed of light is the ultimate speed limit. And I'm and sure it, someone would have asked that question. Yeah. So it, it is the ultimate speed limit for things travelling through space. But we're talking here not about things travelling through space. We're talking about space itself. Yeah. Um, and s- space can expand at whatever speed it likes. Mm. Uh, it's the fabric of space-time, whatever that means. You know, it's a glib term that we use. But it's not that easy to get your head around. But the, the space itself expands faster than the speed of light. Mm. Um, And continues to do so. um, Yes, in the sense that there are horizons beyond which we cannot see because the light from uh, some of those distant galaxies will never actually reach us because the expansion is too fast. Mm. Um, Most of the, well, what we call the observable universe isn't receding from us faster than the speed of light, which is why we can still see it. (laughs) No, I'm talking about the, the outer limits, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah. you're talking there about limits that are beyond what we can't see anyway because of the cosmic microwave background radiation, which we do see. Mm. Um, uh, that's looking back 13.8 billion years.
1: Yeah. All right. So, um, Daryl, the answer is yes. And uh, it happened in a uh, a fraction of a split second, basically, and uh, all hell broke loose. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, thanks for your question and thanks for being a patron, Daryl. Let's go to our next question. This comes from Stephen. Hello, Fred and Andrew. I never listened to podcasts until I discovered Space Nuts. (laughs) Set a low bar for you. Um, (laughs) Amazing show. You've reignited my passion for space and I thank you. My question, hypothetically speaking, if sound could traverse through the vacuum of space, what would it sound like? Uh, What would we hear on Earth? Now, Fred's going to explain it, but sound can't travel through space. So this is a pure hypothetical question on the basis of what if, and we do love what if questions, so yeah. Yeah. I suppose it prompts another question. Why can't sound travel through space? Because it's a vacuum?
0: Yeah, that's uh, right. There's no medium to transmit sound waves. Sound waves are compression waves. They they rely on, you know, you're having something to transmit the sound, whether it's the air or or a, um, like, a, a, a you know, the, the fretboard of a guitar, sorry, the soundboard of a guitar or a cello, uh, whatever it is, it's got to be transmitted through some medium. Um uh, and you know when you bang a bar of steel for example it uh it, it rings uh resonates that's because the sound's tra- traveling backwards and forwards in it so mm. there's nothing uh to transmit the sound in space there is you know the, the it, space is not completely empty there's this sea of subatomic particles in it um, which are very very rarefied certainly in interstellar space you're talking about one particle per cubic meter or something like that uh, so it's effectively it's a certainly better vacuum than anything we could create artificially on earth uh, and that just means there's no medium to transmit the waves um, but i tried to imagine what would it be like if the universe you know if if space did have a high enough density of material that you could Hear stuff coming from space, and the bottom line is we'd be deafened. Uh, yes. uh, and probably the loudest thing in our skies will be the sun um, because of the nuclear process is taking place inside it, and the huge convection currents, and the flares, and all of that sort of high energy stuff that will be very noisy indeed. Mm. Um, the there is, uh, you know, usually when we talk about this, I, I, I refer to the fact that when the universe was young, its density was high enough that sound waves did move through it. Uh Uh, And we can still see the effect of those um, in the cosmic microwave background radiation. So uh, think of the the Big Bang. We've got a universe that's, uh, for the first 400,000 years of its life, it's glowing brilliantly um, just because of the you know, the the heat, the energy in it. So all of space is a brightly glowing fog, uh, which you can't see through. It's opaque. Um, that then clears, uh, but just because of the phenomenon of look-back time, um, the fog the fog has been cleared, but we can look back to see a wall of fog, which corresponds to a look-back time uh, of... Um, again, 13.8 billion years or so, that uh, takes us to to when a time when the universe was still glowing brightly. It's in mm. microwaves now because the light waves have been stretched into microwaves. But what we see when we look at that microwave background, and it's basically all over the sky. It's a sphere of radiation that surrounds us, which we can see using radio telescopes. It's got little... Um, Glitch, uh, so, um, sort of blips on it of higher and lower temperature, um, only a, a, you know one part in a hundred thousand higher and lower. They're tiny, tiny differences in temperature, but those are interpreted as being due to what are called baryonic acoustic oscillations, which means sound waves in the in the Big Bang itself, in the you know, in, or in the aftermath of the Big Bang itself. This that the universe as it then was, and we can learn a lot by studying those uh, yeah. sound waves.
1: Well, the Big Bang would have been allowed. Pretty bang. noisy, like, yeah. It's that's the
0: nice thing about the, um, you know, these bar- baryonic acoustic oscillations. They're the bang of the Big Bang. <laughs> mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, I just suppose some people are thinking, well, hang on a minute. Sound can't travel through space, but you know, you can talk to each other. So what's that? But that's light. They're light waves, aren't they? Radio signals. Uh, yeah. They're the
0: yes electromagnetic waves, which are long wavelength yeah, light waves. Yeah.
1: Mm. Um, but it sort of prompts me to recall uh, something I read recently about how sound is different on different planets, and uh, I think we recently discussed Mars because it's the centre of attention at the moment. If you were on Mars and tried to talk to each other, it would be very, very muffled compared to how we hear each other on Earth because of the thinness of the atmosphere. Mm. So I would imagine that your voice on other worlds would change accordingly. Yeah. Indeed. And you might have to adapt a new way of communicating because sometimes it might not be understandable. It's um it's a strange phenomenon. We're just we've adapted to this environment. So our voices and our sounds are what we consider normal, but go somewhere else doesn't work. Doesn't work <laughs> that's, nearly that's as well. Right. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I appreciate that uh, question from you, Stephen. Now, I've got to find the next one because it's here somewhere and I think this is it. Yep, this is uh, from someone named Bandicoot, and I'm going to guess he's Australian. Uh, hi, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of weeks and wanted to join in with the questions. What are your thoughts on the Pac-Man theory, where the universe doesn't have an end but instead loops back to the opposite point? I think we've talked about that before, uh, but this question is um, another one I don't think we've um, really looked at much. How realistic is it for humans to live on the moons of gas giants such as um, Titan and Io? Love your show, love your show, and keep up the good work. Appreciate that. Thank you, Andy Coot. Um Well, we'll start with question one about the Pac Man theory: uh, the universe being never-ending and looping back on itself. There are, yeah, there are um, cosmologists who. Espouse that idea. I think uh, that would
0: probably describe Roger Penrose's model of the universe, which has uh, black holes being created and then getting so big they detonate to form another big bang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, but um, it, you know, it, it it's kind of fairly speculative. A lot of that stuff. We we really don't have the observations to support it. Uh, we've got the observations to support a, a single Big Bang, um, with no evidence yet for anything that might have been another one. Um, and so uh, it's it is it's 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 a theory.
1: Yeah, well, the Pac Man theory is probably a cross between an ongoing expansion and a uh, Ganab Gib. So you've, yeah. Yeah, you've got right. a loop effect <laughs> instead. But I, I suppose popular theory is it's it's just a an ongoing, expanding sphere—is that the way they're thinking of it? Yes, that's right. Mm. Ever, ever more rapidly. Um, except it may not have an edge. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Do we? we don't know anything <laughs> right. um, beyond, beyond what we can see. So um, it will probably it could forever remain a mystery. I, I suppose they do computer modeling of all these things and and try to come up with concepts, but in the end, they, it's all theory. Well, yeah. Um, how, how do you prove something you can't see? That's so far away that we'll never ever be able to see it. It's uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Must frustrate you, Fred. <laughs> yes. That's why you turn to writing children's books? I suppose. <laughs> yes. Uh, whose whose name I've remembered? Oh, what's it
0: called? <laughs> it's called Space Warp: Colliding Comets and Other Cosmic Catastrophes.
1: <laughs> You're just making that up. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's on the cover. You should try reading that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't have one. here. He <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, now, the uh, second question from Bandicoot, how realistic is it for humans to live on the moons of um, Titan and Io, which are uh, gas giant moons? So, uh, I, yeah, we've talked about potentially living on Mars and terraforming Mars and living on the moon um Io Titan well
0: Io is um the moon of it's the innermost of the bright moons of the big moons of Jupiter quite a sizable object actually bigger than our moon if i remember rightly or maybe just a little bit smaller um but it, it's a uh, it's a volcanic world it doesn't have an atmosphere um it's it, i think what would what would be the killer for humans walking on on Io or Eo, as it's sometimes pronounced, is um, the radiation because yep. it, it's it's got this strong magnetic interaction with Jupiter, uh, and Jupiter's magnetic field is many many times greater than the Earth's, um, and so there are these radiation belts that are, are bombarding Eo all the time, uh, and um, I think it will be a very dangerous place to put humans. Uh, Titan, on the other hand, out beyond. Jupiter, Titan's a a moon of Saturn, um, has interesting parallels with the Earth. It's a smaller object, although it's bigger than the planet Mercury. Uh, It has an atmosphere whose pressure is about 50% 50 more than the Earth's. Um, And I've just actually looked up the speed of sound on Titan just to sort of... uh, check you know the answer um comparing it with what we're just talking about 194 meters per second uh which is slower than it is on earth if i remember rightly it's about 300 meters per second on earth um that uh Means, you know, makes for an, an interesting world. Uh, it's got lower gravity but higher atmospheric pressure. It's, it, of course, the the big killer on Titan is the surface temperature, which is about minus one hundred and ninety degrees Celsius, uh, and that's why you've got liquid natural gas on its surface rather than water. The water is frozen solid under your feet uh, yep. because that's what we think the surface of Titan is made of: frozen water ice. So, once mm-hmm. again, um, it's hard to imagine. How you would um, put humans uh, on a body like that for any length of time? Um, it, I think you know we we know that um, robotic exploration is the way to go for these extreme environments. There is a robotic mission planned to go to Titan. It's called Dragonfly. It will be a, a an, if I remember rightly, it's an octocopter, um, a, a, something a bit different from uh, ingenuity on Mars, uh, but a, essentially a drone. A, a drone which will be autonomous and will explore Titan from a number of different vantage points. So that's something to yeah. look
1: forward to. That sounds exciting. Yeah. yeah. So um, scratch Titan, scratch EO, um, <laughs> maybe Mars. Although you're not a fan of that idea. Well, I'm a, I'm a. I don't
0: mind. You know, I'm a fan of the idea of humans exploring Mars. But what I'm not a fan of is the idea of millions of humans going to Mars to to take it over as Earth 2.0 because that's not yeah. what it is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it, it, we did get another question this week about terraforming Mars, which we've talked about many times, uh, creating an atmosphere, and uh, it, it just wouldn't work, would it? it? It leaks away because the planet's too small, that's right. So you couldn't create enough atmosphere regularly enough to maintain it even though it leaked away?
0: I think that's the bottom line. Um, you know, it, it's uh, Mars is too small to hang on to an Earth-like atmosphere. Full stop. <laughs> uh, so you, you've got to find a source for you know for, for replenishing it, and that's not an easy thing to do. A giant space pipeline. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. But you know, it's easier than to, to build your your artificial world and have your yeah. disc world or or halo world like
1: domes or something. Yep, yeah. or underground. Yep. Who knows? Mm. All right. Uh, we bumped off quite a few questions this week. And, and thanks again, Bandicoot, for getting in touch. And thanks to whoever sent the question about terraforming uh, or creating an atmosphere on Mars, because I did read that mm-hmm. and thought it fitted in nicely with yep. that particular topic. So we, we got that one through as well. Uh, don't forget, if you do have questions for us, visit our website because that's where you can upload them via audio or through email, spacenutspodcast.com. You'll you'll find the links. The AMA tab is where you can upload questions or just press the button on the right-hand side of the page. And while you're there, don't forget to visit the Space Nuts shop. There's all sorts of things to, uh, to buy. We've got over my left shoulder the Space Nuts sticker. Over my right shoulder there's the mug and there's the tote bag. I'm not wearing the shirt today, but uh, there's just so much that you can get at the Space Nuts shop, including this really crappy new book called Space Warp. <laughs> um, no, it's terrific, and I'm, I've been getting a lot of feedback, Fred. Uh, one of my colleagues at the radio station has a friend in uh, Houston Who's getting two copies for his uh, oh, nephews, brilliant. I believe, or grandchildren? So, um, yeah, they're thrilled a bit. He actually got in touch with us to find out how to buy them. <laughs> so he's uh, going to grab two copies of Space Warp. So, uh, yeah, you, you've probably sold three now by the sound of it.
0: I'm, yeah, b- I believe so. Yeah, I think it might be up as high as eight actually. <laughs>
1: wow, gosh, yeah. My very first books only up to seven. So you know. It's... <laughs> It's uh, a bit yeah. tough. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, got, I didn't know whether to mention this or not, or not but uh, my latest, my book, uh, The Hitler Paradox, I got a scathing one star review the other day on, on Amazon. He was ruthless. Mm. So, um, you know, I could take that personally or I could just laugh it off. Um, I will look into his complaints, <laughs> is all I'll say. But uh, everyone else has given me four and five stars. Yeah. But yeah. he just found something that he didn't like and, Gave me an uppercut. So, anyway, you know, you got to, that's what you you got to uh, be able to take that uh, in the publishing world because not everyone agrees no, on exactly. you know, literature. And I never profess to be the greatest writer in the world. In fact, I'm probably in the bottom 4%. <laughs> A number picked out
0: somewhere. The, yes,
1: exactly. I'll just keep trying.
0: Keep trying. All right. That's what we all do. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Fred. Always a pleasure. Nice to talk to you again.
0: we'll speak soon.
1: We will. Yeah, take care. That's Professor Fred Watson, part of the team here at Space Nuts. And back to uh, Hugh in the studio who um, does whatever he damn well likes but occasionally actually does some work as well to put the show together and get it out on our various podcast platforms. Uh, thanks for listening I hope you can join us again again next week uh, and from me for now, Andrew Dunkley, it's bye bye See ya Space Nuts.
0: You'll be listening to the Space Nuts Podcast
1: Available at Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player You can also stream on demand at Fights.com.
0: This has been another quality podcast production from Fights.com.